welcome to Drinks at the Doll, episode 38, Destiny's Child. You're listening to Drinks at the Doll, a podcast way station for Lost Girl fans. I'm your host, Stephanie. And I'm Annie. And I am Chris. And this week we are discussing the ninth episode of the fourth season of Lost Girl, Destiny's Child, continuing with the 90s themes this season. Though sadly, Bo did not Macarena. I saw the little still in the promo for this episode with Bo, you know, with her arms over her chest like this. And I was really hoping she was going to Macarena during the course of the episode. That did not happen. So I have a couple of drink specials for y'all this week because I couldn't narrow it down to just one. First, there is actually a drink called a Leviathan with brandy, sweet vermouth, and orange juice. And then another drink special that I really liked just because of the name. It's called A Crow Left of the Murder, which if you are familiar, a group of crows is called a murder. But, you know, of course, it's always kind of fun to talk about a murder of crows. It's just kind of dark, like this episode. That has old crow bourbon, of course, pineapple juice, and cranberry juice. So let's start off with sort of what were what were our first impressions of the episode, kind of brief reactions. Uh, what did you think about it, Chris? Finally, we have some solid evidence about Rainer, uh, which I know, well, at least people initially were excited about. I don't know. Maybe people are less excited with the ending we had. I don't know. As I've said many, many times, I'm really enjoying the slow rollout of the season. It's very much, you know, they've set up a really good mystery story here. So there's sort of the gradual releasing of information, which is so typical of those. So I know a lot of people are frustrated with it. I understand, but I like it. Well, I love that Chris stands by her opinion. So go, Chris. Um <laughs> For Thank me, you. this was very much a what-the-effery of an episode, uh, with much head-slapping on my part, which I'll explain later, and uh, head, a bit of head-scratching, and um, yeah, some weird pairings going on, but uh, we'll see where it goes, because uh, that's all I, I just have to keep throwing my hands going, okay, uh, okay, we'll just see where that goes, and see where we end up at the rest of the, at the end of the season. Yeah, this is a difficult episode, I feel like, to have a reaction to because it ends on such a cliffhanger. And you kind of feel like everything that you thought it might be leading up to is suddenly in question, which I like, but it makes it sort of difficult to give a reaction to the episode itself because you feel like, I need to see how this plays out before I decide how I feel about the current plot. But in general, I liked the episode. I think I had some issues with some editing that was done, which sounds weird, and I'll talk about it later. But in general, I really liked the episode. So I, I again, I think this, I agree with Chris, I'm really liking what they're, what they're doing this season as far as this really serialized slow rollout of the unraveling of the Wanderer plot. I, I've, I too have seen people on Twitter who seem to be very frustrated slash confused slash both slash other things about the season, but freaking out, freaking out, you know, panicking, maybe hyperventilating. I don't know, but you know, I, I've been doing it. So I'm willing to see where, where it's going. I, I like that. There are so many questions that just intrigues me personally. Well, as I've said before, probably many, many times, one of my favorite shows ever was Alias, which did this whole, I mean, it was very, very serialized and like, 
partway through the second season, they sort of flipped the entire premise of the show on its head. You know, it's, I, I like that kind of thing. I like it complicated and messy. So. And with Sydney Bristow. Yum. (laughs) I can understand though, why people might be feeling kind of frustrated because this season in particular, I think is a real departure from the style of like the first and second season. So if you get on board for the show, which was largely standalone episodes, you know, there was a tiny little overarching plot toward the end of the season with Saskia slash Aoife, but largely standalone episodes. Season two as well, there was an overarching plot with the Garuda, but mostly standalone episodes. And this season, while, yeah, the episodes do stand pretty well by themselves, there's this huge kind of unraveling of a mystery going on, which is kind of complicated, and they throw a lot of questions at you and and possibilities. So I can understand if you kind of got on board expecting this thing, and it's turned into this other thing that may may not be your style. I totally get that. So let's start by talking about a lot of mythological figures in this episode. And the main ones, you know, we have we have Hugo de Munin, and then the Leviathan, and then the Wanderer. And so let's start by talking about Hugo and Munin, who Bo meets Hugo in the in the doll in the beginning of the episode. He was the one who was in that mysterious cloudy jar that we've got in Groundhog Fay. And a little background on sort of who Hugin and his brother Munin are in mythology. They are, as the episode portrays, they are crows or ravens, and they are Odin's ravens. And Hugin is thought, which he says, he says he's a wanderer's thought traveling across the world. And Munin is memory, which I think they're maybe playing with by his kind of catchphrase of, I didn't see that coming, because, you know, he's memory. He's stuck in the past. He's not really looking to the future all that much. I, I thought that guy was actually very funny, just as a side note. <laughs> I could have done without the crotch grabbing, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. But even that was sort of a a, a character moment, let's say. <laughs> even if it was something that I think some of us could have done without seeing. <laughs> Well, it's it's like the Lost Girl spin on it. You know, they aren't all beautiful toned ravens. You know, the, I mean, uh, Munin's a little, you know, overweight and it's got this like, what I think is like a see-through shirt or a little bit where his belly's kind of sticking out. And I just thought it, that part was funny. Just to give a little more background, Hugo and Munin, they usually are portrayed sitting on Odin's shoulders and they are supposed to fly around the world and report back to Odin on what they see. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about this later. Well, we're going to talk a lot more about this later. But having them named in such a way in this episode really hints to the Wanderer being Odin. We'll see if that actually pans out. And again, we're going to talk more about who the Wanderer might be and a bunch of different names that he seems to potentially have going on. But just wanted to mention that. I think my big question about the whole Hugin and Munin subplot was how exactly did Bo plan for that jar with Hugin in it to play into her plot? Like, I mean, past Bo, when she was setting up all of these clues that she sent herself. I wonder if she, how she kind of intended that to play out. I mean, she could have known what his purpose was and said, well, if I need to get back to the train, which I most likely will, to figure out the rest of this mystery, this is the device through which I will travel. See, I'm still kind of confused about this part, just in the sense that, I mean, I think it's designed this way. 
we still don't technically know what it is that happened while she was on the train. You know what I mean? Right. And even though Bo said that she sent it to herself, we don't actually... Well, I guess they did say that it was addressed in her handwriting, but still, we don't know if she was under the influence of whatever while she was away. Uh, as we keep saying, you know, we don't know if if she has the whammy put on her. You know what I'm saying? Like, because I'm I'm confused about this. The Wanderer apparently put Hugin in the jar in smoke form, because apparently this was part of Bo's plan, apparently with or in conjunction with Rainer so that she could get Rainer off of the train. But if he, the Wanderer is the one who had captured Hugin and put him in the jar, why would he trust Hugin to take Bo back to the train? Well, I mean, maybe it's not Bo, maybe it wasn't Bo's intention. We don't know what Bo's intention is with her sending messages to herself now that it's revealed who Rainer is. If it was her intention all along, to get him off the train. Possibly it could be something else. Bo says this thing at the end of the episode, but as Chris mentioned, I think it's very likely that Bo has had the whammy put on her, that this is not actually Bo's real desire to necessarily go and get Rainer off the train and go and be lovey-dovey with him forever and ever. So I think it's more likely that when Bo was sending herself clues, it was probably not to help Rainer. Perhaps it was to get back on the train, but the ultimate goal, not necessarily to get him back off. But again, we don't know that piece of the puzzle yet. That unraveling is still to come. I mean, there's this whole element of if she does have the whammy put on her, when did the whammy get put on her? True. Because <laughs> clearly she's still not acting like herself, too. So that's part of my reservations that I have about everything. <laughs> so getting back to Hugin and Munin, the, the smoke in the jar you had guessed, Chris, was some sort of transport mechanism. And I'm guessing that's why Bo... I'm assuming that Bo is sending her these clues to try to... Not necessarily to help Raider, but but I think Bo intended to get back on the train using Hugin in some way. Because Bo knew that Hugin and Munin were the ones that took her to the train to begin with. He says that. He says that he and his brother transported him from the doll to the train. So... Even though Hugin was upset about being trapped in the jar, I think Boat knew at least he had the power to get her back to the train. So that was sort of her her thinking as to why that would, would be a good transport method. Apparently anticipating that Cleo and Dyson would totally waste the perfectly good ticket. <laughs> 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 so I loved all the costumes on the crows. I thought they were really fantastic, and I liked the really feathery eyebrows that they put on, uh, particularly mm -hmm. Hugin's wife, but the female crows. I, I just thought the costuming for those characters was really fantastic. And I also liked the, the nursery rhyme that they included. I had never heard that before. Had y'all heard that? Um, no, I'd never heard it. That's why I was fascinated to know what the mythology behind it was. Right. I, I looked it up on, on Wikipedia, but it, it's a nursery rhyme that was intendly, uh, originally intended to count magpies but in the u.s it's we don't really have magpies so it's used for counting either like crows or, or pigeons or some more common bird and it's like a way to prophesize you count the number of pigeons or magpies or whatever in a group or like sitting on a on a like a electricity line wire and what however many there are there's like a a, a prophecy for that and there's different variations and stuff, but the one that they used was one for sorrow, two for mirth, three for a funeral, four for birth, five for heaven, six for hell, and seven is the devil his own self. Bo also said later, she says three for a girl, which is another variation 
on that rhyme. But I was kind of pleased that they included that. I hadn't heard that before. It was, I thought it was fun. All that talk of funerals and hell and stuff. So fun. Yeah, I know. Such a light episode. Or <laughs> another big, big mythological figure that Bo inter- interacts with in this episode, which I felt was actually the meat, the real meat of Bo's storyline, was seeing her interact with Leviathan. The Leviathan I actually looked up is the, um, it's mentioned in the Bible. It's a biblical sea creature serpent thing slash dragon. I mean, basically reading the description, it sounds like what we'd consider a dragon. Just all this talk of, you know, breathing fire and whatnot. It's actually described in Job 41, 1 through 34. But it's kind of interesting, the Leviathan thing, because they, they talk about, I don't know if you saw the amazing makeup that they did. They had this sort of thing on the back of Levi's hand that was sort of like scales. Did, did you see that? I did. It was awesome. No, I didn't see that. I gotta go back and look. I thought it was pretty cool. Because in the description, Leviathan apparently has these dense armory scale type things, apparently. I don't know. The another thing which Lost Girl also does pretty frequently, because apparently there's basically the one Leviathan, and it's male. So they're they're flipping it again. Although there was, I saw at least one story that said that there were two, but they killed the female Leviathan. So... Yes, I have a I have a friend, Elizabeth, who is a is getting a PhD in religious studies. And so I asked her about the Leviathan and cuz you know, usually it's drawn as a sea snake. This Leviathan is not in water. She's in a kind of arid area even though Bo does call her fish fingers alluding to the fact that she is a sea snake usually. But Elizabeth told me that the word Leviathan comes from the the root for curling and twisting, and because of that, it's often portrayed as a sea snake. But she says, bottom line, Leviathan is a creature of chaos, which is why it's often associated with the sea. But it's also appropriate to kind of have her in this kind of chaotic liminal space wherever she was. Maybe it's a dry ocean floor, perhaps, rather than a desert. I think Emily Andrus called it a desert in the interview with TV Guide Canada, but perhaps it could also be like a, a dried up ocean floor. And there was like a little puddle essentially on the on the ground, as one sees in, in dried up lakes and whatnot. Right. So. This little exchange between Bo and the Leviathan, very much where, where they, they toss riddles at each other, very similar to Bilbo and Gollum in Lord of the Rings. Well, they use the the riddling to sort of have Bo talk about the triangle, talk about her conflict between Lauren and, and Dyson. And I, I, uh, I thought that was kind of an interesting way to do it. But I have a lot of questions still about Leviath, about the Leviathan. I feel like we'll probably see her again. She says to Bo, I'll see you again. <laughs> but I thought it was interesting when she first shows up, she says, I know you to Bo. And she knows the riddle about the eyes, both brown and blue, strong, yet gentle, virtuous, less yet lustful. How does she know that? How does she know about Bo? Well, it seems like, you know, as we have seen that, you know, the Wanderer and Tamsin have been searching for Bo for a long time. Seems like that mystery and that riddle of Bo has seemed to have been maybe passed through the ages or amongst the Fae for a long time. And so many references in the series to Bo as the one, you know, when the, um, Talking about uh, Cassie? Mystic or, yeah, Cassie, when she read her again, she goes, when I read you a few years ago, I thought you were the one. And there's so many references to Bo as special that maybe it's just the Fae underworld or who knows what that uh, people know about Eyes Wolf Brown and Blue. That's my guess. But um, but I really, really loved 
the, uh, you know, somewhat modern pop culture reference with the whittles to the Hobbit. And I, I think Bo kind of, as Bilbo does in the, uh, thank you. I said Lord of the Rings. I meant the Hobbit. Thank you, Annie. Yeah. Well, as Bilbo does in the book and the film, he kind of cheats where he looks down and he goes, Oh, it could be wind as a wind blows through, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and Bo looks down and sees fog. It's fog. So my other question about the, Le- the Leviathan is how does she know about the wanderer slash rainer? Because she, she sees, or, you know, she experiences the mark on Bo's, yeah, she, what did she say? The hand hickey on my chest? And, hand hickey. <laughs> which is my new hickey. favorite thing. I know, I love hand hickey. Uh, but, <laughs> but the Leviathan says, I've been searching for that mark for 600 years it was supposed to be mine so it's you know another just kind of curious thing that she mentioned she seems to know a lot about what's going on with Bo, even though Bo's never seen this this person before was she supposed to be marked by the wanderer instead of Bo? was she supposed to be a destined or chosen one that had crossed my mind too because since it seems to be some sort of indication of of their bond or whatever I guess is what we're supposed to gather from the scene towards the end. But anyway, back to the Leviathan. The other thing that I forgot to mention earlier is that the Leviathan is also associated with like the Hellmouth, like the sort of gatekeeper to hell, essentially. Okay, because we got the flashback scene with Trick. Trick's whole thing is that he doesn't want to let Tamsin take Raynor to Valhalla, right? So basically no, I'm not going to let his soul go to the afterlife, is basically what Trick says, right? Since Leviathan is the gatekeeper to hell, or the afterlife, or whatever, I'm wondering if that's what that's supposed to mean. That, no, I was supposed to have Raynor, but he was taken from me 600 years ago when I was supposed Mm -hmm. to have him. So, Because we don't technically know exactly when it was that all the stuff in the flashback took place, right? So I'm guessing I'm guessing that's 600 years ago. I like that theory. If it's the mark that was supposed to be hers 600 years ago, does that mean that he was supposed to be mated or destined for or whatever Leviathan, do we think? That's kind of what it sounded like because... Right. So like maybe he was supposed to be co-keeper of the gates of hell. That's That's a good theory, Chris. I like that theory. We'll see how it shakes out because Levi- the Leviathan sa- does say, I'll see you again. So I-, I presume we will probably see the Leviathan again. So obviously, the big reveal that we get in Bo's conversation with the Leviathan is that someone you love is going to die soon. And so I thought we would maybe talk about who we thought some good possibilities might be because in my mind, there's three to four that seem possible. So what do y'all think? I think that the most likely candidate at this point in time, given the things that happened in this episode, I think it kind of almost has to be Trick. Because they showed him sort of going off the deep end. They showed him being off the deep end in the past. They've opened up the floodgates on the deep endedness now. <laughs> you know. How many deep ends are there, Chris? <laughs> At least four. A lot of deep ends. It's all the same deep end. It's just a matter of how close he is to it. (laughs) Thank you for clarifying. No, I think that there's. I think that there's a really strong chance that it is trick. What do you think, Annie? I hadn't thought of trick actually, but yeah, that's a good point. 
I feel, I feel so bad saying this. I, I feel like um, there's a strong possibility it could be Hale. Because you know how it goes. Once they're, like, happy and saying they have all the time in the world, that a shitstorm is going to come. But I think if it's any of the original, you know, six people that started, it's it's going to be devastating. So, and I, I kind of, I know it's for story growth, but I kind of hate it when a story reaches that point. We must die, 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 kill somebody. But, but then I thought, well, you know, if it's somebody else, like a character that was just introduced, like Rainer or somebody else, um, this, then it wouldn't have as much emotional impact on the audience. So... I think some. I think it would be one of the uh, main characters. So that's my argument. So in my thoughts, I think that there's four possibilities. Well, I'll say three to four. Trick, like Chris mentioned. Hale, like Andy mentioned. Be, and not just because we have him and Kenzie talking about how they have all the time in the world, but we do have that unresolved infected piercing <clears throat> to deal with. <laughs> and then my third thought was maybe Tamsin. They've taken a couple of times this season to remind us this is her last life. So if she died, it'd be end of the line for her. There wouldn't be a rebirth this time. And really, when Tamsin first came on the show, I thought she was pretty much earmarked to die. I thought that she would probably be dead by the end of the hmm. season. But it could be the reception to her character was was good, that the rebirth kind of nullifies that a bit but again they like i said they've still been reminding us this season this is her last life this is her last life and then my fourth possibility is ifa because we have trick say in this episode that Bo is the last of his line implying that he might have killed ifa earlier in the season so it's possible mm. she's already dead but that's another possibility that i thought of was was ifa given what trick says in this episode I have to clarify, though, because I'm weird and nitpicky. Verbatim, he says, she's all I have left of my line. No, I, I get it, Chris. There could be multiple meanings to that. But one meaning could be that Aoife is dead, is what I'm saying. To me, the way it's phrased in the episode, it definitely says, or there's a definite implication that Aoife is dead. Whereas she's the last of my line, to me, could be interpreted as she's the youngest of the line. Does that make sense? I was going to say either one to me could mean that because him saying she's all I have left, she's the only one who will speak to him. You know, Aoife tries to kill him when, whenever they get together. <laughs> That's fair enough. You know, okay. so he could just mean in a, she's the, she's the last one I have who I have a relationship with anymore. You know what I mean? Okay, fair enough. So definitely there's, there could be some double meaning there, you know, it could mean either thing. They probably left it a little vague intentionally. But I did also think of, of Aoife as a possibility as somebody who could die or might already be dead. In which case, she might not, she wouldn't be the person who's going to die, right? So, so since we're talking about Trick, let's go ahead and, and sort of discuss what we learned about him in this episode, which was quite a bit and none of it all that flattering, right? He's not looking too sympathetic these days. Trick blocking his own memory. I don't know, it kind of wonder, it, I don't know why it just made me go off on this tangent going, well, is there a possibility, Bo has been sending herself clues, is there a possibility that Bo somehow got mixed up or somehow it happened where she blocked her own memory? Because we still don't know the extent of her powers. Not just, you know, we've been saying it's Rainer, but it could have been, you know, just Trick being powerful enough to block his own memory. I don't know. Random tangent. But 
I think to me, the whole revelations about Trick and when he's telling about how many people he's killed his first time, and then he goes into how many people he's killed over time, presumably for a greater good to prevent even more massacres. To me, that was really disturbing because then he kind of turns and there's this look on his face, you know, almost like he enjoyed it because he enjoyed having so much power. And then he says, me, I'm the first one of this earth. You know, I'm the one who should be worshipped when he's asked, truly, who does he love? It's not Isabeau. You know, it seems to be just him and all the power he's drunk on. And you see it reflected in that uh, scene with Tamsin. And it's just, to me, this... I mean, we've always kind of seen and known. It's kind of like Dark Bow. We've seen, kind of seen this potential side of trick, this dark trick. But to see it really um, played up so much, to me personally, it was not so uh, happy times for me. I think it was great acting by Rick Howland. I don't know, this side of him, like like Kenzie said earlier in the episode, I miss the trick, who was the trickopedia, and that used to, um, you know, be nice to his friends, and instead of calling them a human and a lowlife, you know, very cruelly, and then he instantly apologizes. And I'm like, I don't believe that. Again, this whole thing is why he won't necessarily die, obviously. I don't know. But I I think the odds of it being Trick being the one to die, if in fact somebody will die, you know, the odds just went way up, right? Because Trick's not terribly likable at the moment. And, um, oh, there was the earlier reference that Emily Andrus made in the TV Guide Canada interview about there being three major enemies this season, and the third one's sort of a surprise and whatever it is that she says exactly. So, I mean, it's trick, right? Is basically what we're finding out this episode. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and that's quite a shocker to me. Exactly. And I, but I think it from what we see, it's almost like Trick kind of has a split personality because yes, he calls Kenzie a human and a low life. But there's this big change in him, right? From, from kind of the trick who, cause when he goes to Dao Ming, he says, you know, I'll do this. I need, I want to help Bo. She's the, you know, the last I have left. She, and he does seem to have genuine remorse when he realizes that he's created all of this, right? So it's almost like there's, there's some sort of darker part of trick that he's, Try, maybe he's trying to redeem himself from that he's somehow buried, you know. So I'm wondering if the the bad guy will be the trick we know, or if it'll be a trick that's been hidden away even by Trick himself, right? Which actually sort of mirrors Bo's whole storyline, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think it's kind of been under there all along, but I'm very it's it's hard for me to trust him as a character in the last kind of the last half of season three and going it now into this season. Um, it makes it very tricky, haha, pun intended, to uh, uh, just to put trust in what he's saying. You know, if he, you know, even at the end of the episode, he says, gather everybody, heck, even get Vex, you know, Bo's in trouble. And I'm like, oh, no, Trick, I do not believe you. You're still going to deceive everybody. And then Tamsin says at the end, don't trust you. And I'm like, oh, shoot, he's just going to lead. Ev- I feel like he's going to deceive everybody and lead them down a path and use their trust uh, to deceive them. And that's that's very very bad. I don't know. I felt at the end of the episode he was he was genuine in his concern for Bo. I don't know. I'm a little less inclined to believe it now. I don't know. I'm torn on a lot of things at the moment. 
I, I do kind of wonder if perhaps, you know, you're talking about the split personality thing. Mm-hmm. It could be a matter of having the darkness within, much like Bo does, or they've hinted at Bo having, or maybe somehow this is a result of trick writing writing in the blood because they keep having the whole discussion of there being consequences to that. So I don't know, maybe, maybe at some point Trick's ego went crazy or something happened that made his ego grow crazy. And then he, you know, had a, a moment of, you know, his, his conscience getting to him and he wrote in his blood something about, you know, something to change himself. So like maybe he wrote his, his current persona into existence. So of course, now all this stuff that's going on right now is the comeuppance from that. Possibly. I don't know. I'm just throwing stuff out there, as I do. Well, I do think it's interesting considering if the writers intended to go this direction with Trick all along. Because I've we mentioned it when we talked about Trick in our in our Trick episode. There there's a post on Tumblr floating around out there where the writer basically outlines why they believe that Trick might be the ultimate big bad. And they list several reasons. And so I think, you know, definitely there's some reading of the text you could do that Trick would emerge eventually as a big bad. And I think even if you go back and you watch early the early episodes of the show, the original pilot vexed, the first episode, the, the premiere episode, it's a fey, 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 fey world. Trick is a lot more kind of villainy in those episodes than he than he is in later episodes. It's like they kind of took a moment and maybe tuned his character down a little bit. So I, I kind of wonder if this might not have been a plan all along for Trick. Mm-hmm. Because we, we do know that they do plan stuff like that way in advance. They were talking about Vex's backstory being that way from the beginning, from the first season. So yeah, I mean, now that you mention it, because they do introduce him being like super shady. And then of course, there's the whole reveal of maybe sort of why he's so shady. And then they make him kind of cuddly, cuddly grampy. But then there's always sort of this layer of he's not telling us everything, or not telling Bo everything, which is sort of more upsetting. But um, anyway, yeah, there's, there's merit to that line of thinking, to me. And then looking at you know, you were mentioning kind of dark Bo. If you kind of think back to what Bo has said when she was dark, especially in the ceremony, where, you know, I will reign as queen for I am his daughter, only I decide who lives who, or who dies. That doesn't that sounds not unlike the the really arrogant trick that we hear in the flashback with Tamsin as well as sort of what emerges when when he's being questioned by Dao Ming. Mm hmm. This is all very upsetting. I know, to me. right? <laughs> I know. Our lovable trick seems to be slipping away. But yeah, I I agree that it could be Yeah, I agree that it, it's been there from the beginning. I mean that he's I always remember there's a really striking shot in It's a Fey 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 World when he literally comes out of the shadows after Bo has won her trial and you're like you know, if you're watching this for the first time in the first episode, you're like, Who is this guy? And he says you know, he says, in essence, to the Morgan and the Ash, you know, we'll decide whether or not, you know, we'll keep Bo for now, you know, keep her alive, and then we'll decide whether or not we should basically exterminate her, you know? So it's not like he started out that cuddly. Yeah, it's uh, kind of tough for me to see this turn in the character, but, um, I, again, I love seeing Rick play it, but uh, 
hard to watch at the same time. Actually, that scene seems really kind of weird now, doesn't it? That Heertrick's supposed to be in hiding, but he's sort of talking to the Ash and the Morrigan. He's he's a tavern keeper, you know? <laughs> but I think sometimes some, you know, like uh, how... Uh, was it Hugin or Munin said at the beginning, you know, they could see right through him and they're like, you're not a tavern keeper. Which I find interesting. The fact that Hugin recognized Trick as the Blood King and sort of, what do we think that means? Well, you know, I think maybe Faye that have been around a while and maybe even the Morgan and the Ash had could have had suspicions or something. You know, why does this guy keep wanting to know what's going on in the Faye world and it's got to be more than just a way station keeper. But it seems like people who have, like, had contact with him when he was the Blood King haven't seemed to recognize him. So I feel like Trick pulled a whammy on people to help hide himself when he went into hiding from being the Blood King. So I find it really revealing that Trick, that Hugin recognized Trick as the Blood King immediately. Maybe that was part of his whole, you know, the the last act as... Blood King was writing into law that nobody would recognize him or something, but... Well, yeah, what about Tamsin? Yeah, she she had contact with him prior and didn't recognize him. Tamsin's memory resets every time she's reborn, apparently. Right, so. but it, there, I have some questions as to whether she had been reborn from the time we see the flashback to when she shows up in season three. I think so. That's a long time. Faye are very long-lived. Well, here's my question about that scene with Tamsin and Trick, where she says, again, I'm on my last life. Was she about to die in that life very soon? And then Trick reset her whole lifetime cycle from that point? That's what it sounds like. Well, she didn't say she was on her last life. She says, my lives are ending, which could mean a couple of things. It could it could have meant she was on her second to last life. Who knows? Yeah, but there is that sort of that question of what exactly did Trick do for her? I, it could be he just sort of like really extended that life to give her some more time. It could be that he reset her life cycle. It could be that, you know, there's a variety of things that he could have done for her. Obviously, he allowed her to live longer, but how exactly what form that took, they did not specify. Here's my thinking, though, as to why either Trick extended her life that she had then or maybe just gave her an extra one, is that when we first see her in season three, you know, she says she kind of ended up where she was because she was a bounty hunter and she, you know, did something wrong that she was basically making amends for. And that's kind of what we seem to be getting in this season, right? Because we see the flashback in Groundhog Fae, where she says she's a bounty hunter, she hunted fugitive Fae, and that's when the Wanderer contacts her and gives her the money to find Bo, presumably. And then we see her with Trick in this flashback where she's very upset for all of the mistakes that she's made and wants to atone. And it, it seems unlikely to me that that sort of greedy bounty hunter phase would have come after that. Maybe it did. But I feel like probably that happened before what we see with, with Tamsin and Trick. Well, yeah, but if she's a bounty hunter and if the Wanderer comes to her as a bounty hunter, but the Wanderer wasn't created until that moment, seemingly when Trick cursed him. You would think that flashback would be after the one with Trick. But the curse banished him to existence on the, on train, the train. So he couldn't have contacted her after he was actually the Wanderer. No, I thought he just said it banished him to wander in between lifetimes or whatnot, not specifically on the train. That's not what I got. 
Well, he he banished him from not being in the world. He banished him to another plane. Well, okay. Either or. My question about that whole scene is, why was Tamsin so attached? She seemed very emotional about wanting to do her duty as a Valkyrie and saying she had to have him cross over. And I was like, was she in particular attached to this person who would be the Wanderer? Did she have a relationship with him? Or was it just she's just at the end of her li- nearing the end of her lives and is more emotional about that? But she just seemed very distraught about trying to let this one person cross over. It just kind of makes me wonder if she knew the person who is, you know, if she knew Rainer in that lifetime, if that is Rainer. Well, I think there is a question that still exists for me as to the sequence of the flashbacks we've seen for Tamsin. If the, you know, greedy bounty hunter one came before this one we saw in this episode, I kind of think yes, but maybe not. And if that's the case, if they are flipped, I think it maybe opens the question of a second mysterious figure who hired Tamsin, which could very well be Trick, maybe, if he has this sort of dark side to himself that he's buried deep down. So, again, you know, I, we're moving forward. I think we're going to get more information in regards to this, but that's kind of a question I have in regards to what we've seen of Tamsin's past. Or there could have been somebody acting as agent right. of, I mean, I don't know. Talking a little bit more about The Wanderer, we have had some speculation out in fandom for a while now, pretty much since, I believe, the ceremony that the Wanderer might be Odin, that Bo's father might be Odin, et cetera, et cetera, because of a couple of, of reasons. And and first, I'll just talk a little bit about Odin. So Odin is from Norse mythology, of course. He's the most powerful of the sky gods. He values wisdom above all. And one of his nicknames is, in fact, the Wanderer, because he regularly, unlike other gods, he regularly leaves Asgard to walk among humans in search of wisdom. And then another nickname that he has is Allfather, because he is father to so many other gods and goddesses. You know, and we and we sort of hear echoes of that in this episode, where Rick Hugens calls him father and says, you know, the Wanderer is a great man he, and father to many. And, and then... Horses are sacred to him. He has an eight-legged horse that he rides, and thus that's why Trick's horse drawing at that that he pulls out of the box at the end of the ceremony triggered some people who are really into mythology thinking, oh, maybe this is Odin. And then in one poem written about Odin, he does have the ability to inspire an all-consuming love in other people. So that kind of fits but with what we we maybe see Rainer do to Bo in this episode, where he touches her and, you know, she seems to kind of fall in love with him the next time we see her. So there's definitely some big hints that the Wanderer is Odin, therefore Rainer is Odin. But I still think maybe there's we don't ha- quite have all the answers yet. And there's also, I guess, the possibility that they might do what they did with Loki in season two with, with Ryan, where Loki kind of became a race of fae. Is it possible they would make Odin a race of fae? I kind of doubt that, but they could do it. It's Lost Girl. Who knows? Right, which I guess is sort of my my big thing about declaring it one way or the other, just because, you know, Lost Girl sticks to mythology to a point, but then they sort of play around with it, you right. know what I mean? Which I enjoy, but... Lost Girl is like Xena in the sense of they stick to history as an incredibly loose guide, and then they frack with it in all different kinds of ways. And 
I think when it comes, I know a lot of fans have been speculating about Odin for quite a while, and it was also linked to Tamsin quite a lot because she's a Valkyrie, where in mythology, Valkyries, you know, are Odin's aides, and they bring, they bring the deceased to Valhalla. And, you know, as Trick reminded us, Tamsin once worked for the Wanderer. And also, one thing, uh, that, um, I spotted was, um, Tamsin found, and I was so happy that it got referred to again, that Tamsin found the picture that Trick, uh, had at the end of 313 with the, um, whether it was with the dragon-like or the horse-like creature that you just mentioned, Stephanie. I'm really gra- glad they brought that back because I'm like, yeah, there's another loose end. Please bring it back and what does it mean? But it, it does also create another question for me in that when, when Bo, sorry, not Bo at all, geez, when Trick digs it out of his things and he opens it and he says not him or something to that extent implying that he had an idea as to where this darkness darkness and bow might have been coming from but then in this episode he you know it's kind of established that he somehow erased his memory of rainer so i think there's definitely still questions as to who's who this episode really seemed to say that rainer is the wanderer but is he also odin is he Bo's father? I kind of think they seem to be leaning away from that. Given that one of Odin's nicknames is Allfather, could it be that... Because really, the person we've had established that it was Bo's father is primarily Tamsin, right? And I'm not saying Tamsin was lying, but maybe she was mistaken. Maybe, you know, people referred to the Wanderer as Bo's father, maybe colloquially, as in he's kind of father to all. Kind of, you know, you have that uncle who's not actually related to you, but he's a good friend of your family or something like that. Hey, I had an aunt that I didn't know wasn't my biological aunt. It's just that everybody calls everybody auntie in Hawaii. And I'm like, oh, what do you mean she's not my aunt? So right, that kind of thing. Right. So yeah. maybe it was that. Maybe Tamsin thought that that uh, Bo was her, Bo was his biological daughter, but she isn't, or maybe she means it a different way. Well, I think the funny thing that Lost Girl was playing with here is that it opens with Rainer welding, we can't see his face, and I'm like, you know, flash dance flashbacks, you know, but um, we have to make it sexy and make him look like a model. And I think everybody was kind of shocked, you know, fandom and on the screen alike that, who is this guy? He's so young and handsome, and he looks like, to me, Dyson's younger brother. And I was like, oh, if he is Odin, isn't Odin typically an older, you know, grandfatherly-like man? What's this young stud doing here? <laughs> so. But but again, Annie, this is the show that has Leviathan as, like, a beautiful lady with blue lipstick and sea-green nail polish in a cave, as opposed to a dragon of the sea. And I mean, remember, Bo's mom is played by Inga Cadranel, who is younger than Anna Silk is. So. That's true. You know, the appearance of youth also means nothing on this show, so. Odin is typically portrayed as an older man, longer hair, missing an eye. There's a very famous story where he gives an eye away in order to drink from this fountain so he would get ultimate knowledge. So he's usually missing an eye. And clearly, this guy is not none of those things. So it's possible, A, he's not Odin. B, maybe he has, I don't know, maybe he's he's... I forget. I'm trying to think of a good an- an- analogy, but you know, there are instances in mythology as well as 
sci-fi fantasy shows where oh like werewolves you know maybe he's like a werewolf where he has like a, like a cute guy persona that's present during the day and an ugly old guy persona that's only there at night you know who knows or it could just be lost girls like heck with this old man let's cast kyle schmidt because he's pretty exactly you know <laughs> exactly i think that's exactly what they were thinking the, the interesting thing though to me is that the reaction that followed that that i saw i mean i don't know they're could be plenty of others but it seemed like as soon as they revealed that it was kyle schmidt everybody's like so he's a serious love interest and everybody starts freaking out and like you know does nobody still think he's evil because i think he might still be evil is it is it because he's pretty does everybody trust him because he's pretty (laughs) that's a thing yeah i mean it's all based on appearances which is so funny and yeah i was part of the freak out group but um is it because he's pretty any it's because he's pretty. Only Lauren is supposed to be the prettiest on the show. So I didn't say he was prettier than anybody. I just said he was pretty. <laughs> so, but I think that, um, yeah, I just, I, I, in that aspect, I love how Lost Girl turned it on its head and it would have been completely different if you cast an old man or whatever. But, well, I think he's still a threat because of that deception, you know, because he was presented as a love interest and everybody's going to see him that way instead of, as a threat, you know, that he could still be hiding a lot. So my other questions that I that I still have in regards to the whole Rainer slash Odin slash Wanderer conundrum is, is this indeed the same person who hired Tamsin to find Bo? As she says, it was in a previous life. Her memories get kind of fuzzy from life to life. Could it have been somebody else? Like I mentioned, is there another mysterious figure at play? Could it have been Trick? He is affected by Hugin's smoke when Hugin comes out of the bottle. They they zoom in on that. They give us a close shot of that. And then Kenzie references it later. So it's it's important. And while Hugin addresses him as the Blood King, you know, he does say my liege and he bows to him. Is it possible that maybe Trick is Odin? I don't know. I think there's still a lot of, of possibilities that they could, they could toy Wait, with. Wait, so he's the father and the grandfather. What? There is kind of this dark possibility that people have been toying with, with what if Trick is Bo's father? And that's why Aoife hates him so much, is that, you know, he assaulted Aoife and essentially sired his own daughter slash granddaughter. I'm breathing deep just to cleanse the thought from my mind, but thank you for putting it out there. I mean, that's that's damn dark, and I kind of hope they don't go quite that dark, but who knows? And now we're all just upset with you for even speaking it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, at least, you know, like you said, you're not the only one. So Kenzie and Tamsin's little storyline, I didn't particularly care for it because it felt really oddly paced. Like, you know, they were looking around Trick's lair for something, and then they find that. And so they're looking around some more. I don't know. It just, like, it kind of lagged a bit in in the... the pacing felt a little off, which I'm going to chalk up to maybe some weird editing because Ksenia Solo and Rachel Carson usually nail comedic scenes, but I felt like their timing was a little off in some of the moments. So I did, I wasn't like the hugest fan of that little storyline, but there's definitely still a lot of good stuff in there, I thought, like learning that Kenzie and Tamsin had been up to shenanigans at the, you know, Faye nursing home. Oh, what did they do to those poor people? Wait, yeah, can you interpret that line for me? Because yeah, what was that? I Tamsin said it so fast, and I've listened to it like two or three times, and I cannot get it. I didn't get it either. <laughs> I, responsible I, somebody tweet something? us. Yeah. yeah. It, it, I, I feel like Kenzie might have 
shut her up before maybe she got to the really really naughty part but, but I, just I didn't couldn't even quite get the understand part about what the she nursing said. home yeah so or it was like the Faye veterans home or something like that okay. but but it, it, it people who were probably on bed rest and they went and messed with them <laughs> <laughs> no i shouldn't laugh at that <laughs> But it also, while I like Kinsey and Tamsin, I think they have a really nice friendship and sort of chemistry. It, it that that those scenes really made me miss Bo and Kenzie. I really want to see Bo and Kenzie back together. Yeah, solving mysteries together. Each pair has again. their own different dynamics. Right. So, right. well, and I thought it was interesting that Kenzie kept saying to Tamsin, she kept trying to convince her as to why they should look for trip through trick stuff, and she said saying about Bo, she saved my life countless times, even mine from the minute I didn't know hers, which I love that line, because I'm so fond of uh, episode 101. And, you know, as Kenzie said, she'll have Bo's back, you know, um, or Kenzie's, Bo's always had her, her back, or Kenzie's saying she's got to have Bo's back. Um, but I'm thinking, hasn't she always? And I'm thinking, is this more of Kenzie's insecurity of I'm not enough, I'm not Faye, et cetera, et cetera, coming through? Maybe. It did make me a little sad that Bo said goodbye specifically to Dyson and Lauren, but didn't really say goodbye to Kenzie in the same way. Yeah, I was like, oh, yeah. give Kenzie a and, and Kenzie had a look, yeah. and I, I wasn't quite yeah, sure if it yeah. was a matter of, you know, the triangle being addressed or if it was specific to well, not being included. Mm-hmm. And I think it was interesting how, you know, the other two points of the triangle, Lauren and Dyson, they're so for Bo just going for her destiny you know, to figure out what's going on with the Wanderer, despite their own personal fears and the fact that they love her. Whereas Kenzie was freaking out, going, I'm not letting you do this, grabbing the jar and running away, you know, because Kenzie's got her own very real fears about never seeing Bo again. Right. That made a lot of sense to me, that that action that Kenzie took. Just, I mean, especially once we had the scenes, as soon as Bo came back and and Kenzie, like, literally physically would not let her go. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... Yeah. If Bo were to leave again, I think Kenzie is uniquely vulnerable mm-hmm. the way right. that Lauren no longer is since she's kind of allied herself with the dark now. But, you know, Kenzie, as she said, expresses to Bo and turned to stone when, when Bo was gone, you know, she was alone. She had no one. And and that's really scary for her, well, I, I think. And Kenzie and Lauren are sti- have always been on different social classes. Lauren is, you know, literally a genius, has this different level of education, has a different experience and how to, you know, and how to you know, escape or hide out or how to survive. I mean, Kenzie's always survived, but again, with this knowing so much about the Fae, I don't know if they would let Kenzie go in the same way. That's why Kenzie had to disguise herself at the beginning of the season. Um, But uh, I just think that if they do, you know, we were talking about who they'd get rid of earlier. If they do get rid of Hale, that'd be, you know, even more devastating for Kenzie because then she will have lost so much she really cares about. So that's why I hope it's not Hale because that would, really be particularly devastating for Kenzie. I hope it's a nobody. Nobody we care about. So, minor character number 34 in the background dies. Wishful thinking. So I liked the the riddle that we discussed, that Bo discussed with Leviathan. I, I liked her responses to it, Leviathan's responses to it, where she she says, you know, oh, I pick the woman, you love her, you wear her humanity like a shield. No, the man, you crave strength. I thought she did a really, her response to Bo, even though she'd never met Dyson and Lauren, I think was a really nice description as to what Bo really appreciates about both of them. But to me, when when Bo 
you know, shakes her head no when Leviathan answers Dyson and says, there is no answer. I kind of felt like, I feel like you're not listening to yourself, Bo. I feel like you, you answered yourself earlier when you realized the answer is both. You love them both. You know? Yeah, Bo's riddle, I think, really is where she's at with a triangle at that point. That she loves both of them, but can't choose. And she has this quandary. And I'm wondering now, you know, it, I, I'm wondering now if she chooses, no matter who she chooses, it won't be without consequences or without pain if she did choose one or the other. And I almost wonder if it's inevitable, unless she chooses both. But I think it's interesting that Bo is referring to the triangle as sometimes it's annoying, sometimes she implied that it's really wearing on her. And yeah, I think Bo's thinking, she's getting a little, she's thinking it over too much. She's kind of freaking herself out. And, um, you know, I hope she finds the strength to come to a decision because it's a long writing process and, uh, I, I don't see resolution. <laughs> it's, it's the story, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna go on for as long as it's gonna go on. And, you know, I'll, I'll be uh, interested to see where they go, but I'd like still to Bo to talk to both of them. Um, because I know Bo's got a lot on her plate, but she still has to discuss, I know I keep saying this, a broken record, she still has to discuss some issues with both of them, because it's not fair to the characters. Well, I liked all of the Lauren and Dyson stuff this episode. It was probably some of, like, my favorite piece of the episode, even though it was tiny. I really enjoy them together being buddy-buddy. I, I think it was really the, my favorite part of the episode. Stephanie, you were wondering in 407 when Lauren and Dyson, they got so chummy, in 408, so quickly after 407. And I think now I see it as it had to kind of be that way because they really are working together in this episode. They really are putting aside their differences and just working for the greater good to help Bo. And I really did like those scenes between them because they are able to respect each other and not just argue or have their jealousies be in the way since they realize that Bo is equally in love with them and can't choose at this point. So... And I love the scene where Dyson gives her the knife. And of course, giant <laughs> Lauren's jacket loaded with the science stuff was brilliant. So, uh, you know, in between the writers and Noreen Landry and the props department for making this fabulous jacket. Thank you. Thank you. I really liked the exchange between the two of them when, when Dyson gives Lauren the knife, and which I thought was very sweet. Dyson was just being a sweetie pie in this episode. I was like, oh, this is the yeah. Dyson I, I love. I like that Dyson. I love this yeah. Dyson. And I, hope I love they, Fuzzy Wolf Dyson. I hope they continue to let him be this way because they've had this tendency on the show to kind of open him up, get him a little more friendly, a little more, you know, loose and personable, and then they shut him back <laughs> down again. And then something happens. Yeah, something <laughs> happens and he shuts back down again. So... I hope we get this Dyson to stay. And I really liked the exchange between the two of them when, when he gives her the knife and, and he says, you know, I'm not sure if I could either. And Lauren says, what? And he says, choose. And so, yeah, I think even though, you know, <laughs> when I asked about the, the a team both in game possibility, when we interviewed Emily Andrews, she was kind of like, I don't know. It really does seem like they're kind of laying the groundwork, at least, for that possibility this season. And then I did also really like Lauren's response that she could choose because I thought it was, it was funny. It was like a jab at Dyson. And I liked the reference to the fact that I wouldn't, I would choose Bo because I'm not into dudes. Sorry, guy. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think of it that way. You could almost hear every Lauren fan in the world, like, Breathing a collective sigh of relief as soon as she said that. 
Well, I, I think I, I thought that was really kind of she was being honest with uh, Dysa, but I thought it was kind of really almost you know she wasn't b- intending to offend him or anything. I just thought it was you know she was just being herself, and just the way Zoe interpreted that line. Um, you know, she wasn't me- meaning to be cruel or anything. It was, she was just kind of giving the truth, and then she smiles, and you know, he kind of smiles, and they they have an understanding. So, and I like it when they come to an understanding like that. Even going so far as to say, let's go get our girl. But I still want girls. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely a, a sense of understanding that's developing between the two of them, and I really like it. And then uh, in this scene where they back Bo up, and they've got Hugo and Munin at their at their mercy, and Bo says, "Do your worst." And Stephanie, I was like, so <laughs> earlier when she said Faye STDs when Lauren says that, I'm like, yes, Stephanie, they do exist. <laughs> See, I told people there were Faye STDs, and Bo should be using at condoms. the time. I was <laughs> like, what? What are you smoking? And everybody who listens to the podcast, as soon as they heard the words Faye STDs, they thought of you, Stephanie. <laughs> Honestly, I'm okay with people thinking of me when they hear Faye STDs. I think of that as a compliment, actually. <laughs> it warms the cockles of her it heart. Does. Is it warmth or is it a burning sensation? <laughs> is there like a Faye feminine wash we can use or something? To get Faye, no, Summer's Eve. <laughs> feminine, Annie. Feminine. <laughs> To mention just briefly just some of this, both the season themes as well as the series themes that popped up in this episode. Again, we have this talk about destiny. You know, Bo says in the credits every week she wants to live the life or choose this idea that we can create her own destiny. But we have Trick in this episode being told by Dao Ming he cannot escape, escape his fate. He is powerless to change his nature. So, again, this tension between how much of our destiny can we actually choose and then, of course, the, the episode ends with Bo saying that Rainer is her destiny, and which is, to me, a big red flag that, you know, something's up. There's a whammy going on somewhere. Maybe two whammies. Maybe 30 whammies. I don't know. There's whammies. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, memory again, going through Trick's memories, pulling Trick's memories out. Uh, Dao Ming does this for him in this episode. The theme of family, we have Dyson and Lauren tell Bo they are her complicated, dysfunctional family, which is very sweet. And then a sort of like, I have several stray thoughts for the episode, but I've been talking a lot, so I'll let let somebody else go in regards to kind of stray thoughts they had about the episode. Go for it, Annie. Oh, I didn't notice this until somebody pointed it out. Couldn't believe it. They go, oh, I like Lauren's jacket. Looks like she's been dipped in a latte. Or something, because it's like (laughs) half half kind of this latte and half white and i'm all ooh, that looks pretty i just like the syringes and the <laughs> the jacket i'm like god if i was zoe i'm like i'd kind of want to keep that jacket you never know what it comes in handy for she could carry eight pens at a time or something like that but i loved her <laughs> anyway. i loved her science stuff and the fact that she called it science stuff because i know she's like i'm talking to dyson he just wants me to, to say science stuff. Well, not that she's dumb, but you know, no. going into yeah. my, you know, my some what these gauge syringes and this over here, he doesn't care. So, <laughs> and then also on the on the blazer, we see when she opens it up, there's more red piping on her blazer on the inside. We're obsessed with the red I am, piping because she had the red no, pipe. Had, had you noticed that before I yes, sent you the message? I did. Okay, I assumed you had, yeah. but I thought I'd... Because Lauren noticed. had the red piping on her blazer in La Fée Epoque, 
and it really resembled the red string of fate that, you know, that gets tied on everybody's ankle and then it's popping up again in her blazer. Again, it might just be coincidental. It, it might not actually mean anything, but are there hints in the costuming is what I'm wondering. Well, then she, you got me all freaked out because I'm like, great. What if she like cuts her red string of fate and dies or something? And then you're like, Annie, I thought I was, you know, giving you Docubus <laughs> fans a line. And I went, oh, yeah, I forgot. Isn't the red string of fate also referring to those who are linked together? Yes. Oh, and I was like, yeah. So after I read your tweet, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. I thought of the worst case scenario again. But, uh. Because she didn't die when she cut her red string of fate. I she know, saved I herself. know, but still, it freaked me out. So, but my, my random thought about this episode is, um, uh, when Lauren has those very sciencey lines when she was describing her worst to a bow, oh, this could be, you know, I could pump them full of, what did she say? Like, not Fey STDs that time. But it was a it was a Fey fly or a bug of some fey kind. Fey fly something that attacked his central sort of nervous system. Parasite or something, right? Sir's yeah. central nervous system caused them to do horrible things like self mutilation and internal bleeding. And there have been a couple of lines like that. There was that one, and then there was the one in um, uh, three hundred three, where she Bo asked her, "What are you doing?" Oh, nothing. Just doing figuring out a rhizome gradient repellent of Fey blood versus human blood. Those lines, especially when suspended in an isotonic solution, I've had this at all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but those lines, I have to wonder how Zoe memorizes them, how she says them in one breath, and how she says it with a straight face. So I always give her credit because I start giggling once I listen to those lines, and I just go, "Oh my god!" I just would, <laughs> I just would die in the middle of that take because it's so Lauren and it's so funny. Do you have something, Chris? Oh, I just earlier I was going to throw in there that. uh Remember, Annie, the last time Lauren cut her red string of fate, it ended it up in kissing. Yeah. So. Oh, that's true. Okay, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and that's how you make Annie feel better. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> kissing, kissing, kissing. It all comes back to Docubus, folks. <laughs> As a surprise to no one. <laughs> this is how you win arguments with Annie, and this is how you cheer Annie up. My light bulb goes off and she is happy. So I loved Kenzie brushing her hair with her fork. Well, I love that she picked up a fork as a weapon to begin with. It's Kenzie and the doll with a fork. It kind of reminded me of the episode Homecoming of Buffy, where Cordelia picks up the spatula. Oh, dear. Are you with me on this, Chris? Of course. No? Oh, yeah. Okay. No, no. But when when Kenzie started combing through her hair with the fork, I'm like, it's like Ariel with the dingle hopper. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a simultaneous Little Mermaid, Buffy the Vampire Slayer type of reference all rolled into one. It was fantastic. So something that actually kind of shocked me was at the beginning when Hugin is talking about his wife and how she betrayed him and blah, 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 blah. He calls her a repulsive quim. And, and I didn't get that line. I was like, what? I don't know how many people know this. I feel like more people know about this word since there was this kind of kerfuffle about it when Avengers came out because I was Loki say. calls Black Black Widow a, a mewling quim, I believe. And mm -hmm. and quim is a, a British insult equivalent to the C word in the United States. I'm not going to say that oh, word because really? I don't like that word. I'm saying quim in quotation marks. So I'm really, Damn. really surprised that A, they got away with having that word in Lost Girl, and B, I, I, I'm really, like, bummed he wasn't killed. Because usually on Lost Girl, you know somebody's going to die a horrible death if they're, like, very misogynistic toward women. But Hugin got to live, darn it. 
You were just happy that what's his name got run over by the Eddie, train because he did was make me happy. Eddie. Yeah. <laughs> but the Wanderer plotline isn't over. Maybe we'll see him Maybe. again. And I wouldn't mind yeah. that. I was like, oh, why did you have to call your wife that horrible word? Because you're really handsome and come sit next to me. But <laughs> <laughs> but not now. Jeez. <laughs> So something that really bugs me that they do all the time with with Asian characters is they have the same stupid Asian music playing in the background. You know that the flutes and the da 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 da. And I'm like, <laughs> we get it, we get it. Dao Ming is Asian. They're Asian. We hear the music. We get it. <laughs> so do I always get like Asian slash Hawaiian music because I'm Hapa? Is, okay. Y'all are actually Asian. Does that, like, bother y'all that they do that? I didn't <laughs> notice it. See, I have no perceptions when it comes to longer. <laughs> lost girl. That's why I just noticed the fingernails, and I just thought she was hot. That's all I noticed. <laughs> so, That's all any ever notices. Well, having spent time with Chris, that music is not always playing at your house, so it's not a, a constant no, of Asian no, people. It is not. I have many Asian friends. They do not tend to have that music playing whenever they, wherever they happen to be. You know what? I should just hold up my uh, I, my iPhone and have some Asian music playing behind me the next time I see you. <laughs> so we'll know that you are we in are fact Asian, part Asian or of yes. Asian descent in our bloodline. The only time the the music will not be playing is when it's Stephanie. <laughs> I love it. It's the white girl who's like, doesn't that bother you? Oh, no. What? <laughs> no idea. We are so used to it, apparently. We do not notice apparently, it. Apparently, we tuned it out. It's white noise, Stephanie. <laughs> Wouldn't it be Asian noise? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure if she was making a joke or not. I don't think she was. <laughs> she wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't. <laughs> So my last comment, because you guys know it's coming. The Leviathan kept calling Bo princess, as if to make up for the fact that <laughs> Ali Liebert wasn't in this episode. You do not fool me, Andrus. Leaves, <laughs> Leaves. So I was talking about this with a with a friend the other day, and she was like, oh, honey, Crystal's gone. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> I, no. I, I still have hope. Denial, denial. <laughs> How dare you? Okay, maybe not this season, maybe next season, but don't take away my hope. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, we are on episode five of Crystal Watch, so. Yeah, yeah. So let us know what you thought of Destiny's Child, especially what you think of this ending and the potential it suggests. Are you worried that Rainer is now going to make a, yet another sticky point on this love web that seems to be growing? We would love to hear your thoughts. You can leave a comment on the show notes for this episode over at drinksatthedoll.com slash 38. You can send us an email to feedback at drinksatthedoll.com or you can send us a voice message by clicking on the send voicemail tab on the right side of the page over at drinksatthedoll.com. I'm so glad you could join us for Drinks at the Doll. My name is Stephanie. Thank you so much for listening. Cheers. Cheers.